Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. You're in the right place for all things regenerative living, ecological restoration, permaculture, and natural building. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. In this show, it's my job to interview leaders, innovators, and rebels on the cutting edge of their fields as we look for solutions to our generation's most urgent challenges and share these techniques and information so that you can join us in creating a healthy and abundant world for everyone. So let's get started. Without a doubt, the most important mission of our lifetimes will be regenerating this planet and creating a new culture based on care and stewardship for all life. But it can be hard to know where to start. After more than 150 episodes of speaking to leaders and innovators in the regenerative fields around the world, and working with clients and organizations to help them reach their regenerative goals, I've compiled many lists of essential skills and steps that anyone can take today to begin their journey towards a brighter future for themselves their families and communities, and for the ecosystems that support them. Every two weeks, I'll send you a new regenerative skill that you can develop and expand on in your own life right away. What's more is that I'm creating a community of skill builders like you who are sharing their results and stories of success to inspire you towards greater action. You can sign up right now in the show notes for this episode or on the homepage at AbundantEdge.com. Start your week off right by building your skills for a regenerative future. All right, friends and family, welcome back. Now, over the last month, I've been focusing on interviews with people who are pioneering the repair and regeneration of the water cycle as it pertains to landscapes. We've explored the installation of ponds and dams, permaculture earthworks and water retention landscapes, as well as key line design and planting the rain in drylands. Now, these are all great interventions at the beginning of the water cycle's journey. But today I want to start a deeper dive, literally, by going into the furthest point downstream, where water enters the ocean. Marine ecosystems are much less understood by the general public for a variety of reasons, but our actions on land have a direct effect on the health of our oceans too. Luckily, there are incredible teams of people looking to address these issues with promising new solutions, and over the next couple of episodes I'll be highlighting a few of them. So to get started, I spoke with Joost Wouters an entrepreneur, speaker, author, and the CEO of this seaweed company. I got to know Yost first as a co-instructor with me on the Ecosystem Restoration Design course through Gaia Education, and I was fascinated with his presentation and the compelling data on the potential regenerative effects that seaweed and kelp can have in bringing back the health of coastal areas. In his role with the seaweed company, he and his team aim to implement CO2-reducing seaweed-based business models at a large scale. It turns out that seaweed is the fastest growing biomass in the world. Seaweed farming itself, if done responsibly, has the power to address many of the ecological challenges that we face today, without the use of land, fertilizer, or even fresh water. It reduces ocean acidification, promotes marine biodiversity, and even absorbs vast quantities of CO2 from the atmosphere. Now, seaweed can also create highly valuable end products. It's a nutritious source of food for both people and animals, and can be used as an environmentally friendly alternative to petroleum-based fertilizers and plastics. Now at the moment, it's a unique untapped resource, and the goal for the seaweed company is to unlock the potential of this wondrous resource to benefit both people and the planet. Now in this episode, Yo starts by explaining some of the urgent issues facing marine environments and how seaweed farming can help to address them. We go over the advantages that growing seaweed has over terrestrial agriculture, the high-value products that can be made from different types of seaweed, 
the many pilot projects around the world that his company has helped to start, and much more. Towards the end, we also examine the roadblocks that are holding back this solution from being more widely adopted, and how those of you listening can learn more and even get involved. Now, I've personally been learning a lot about marine ecosystems through these interviews, and truly hope that a greater awareness will begin to be built around just how essential the health of our oceans is to the health of all life, even to ecosystems that are far inland and away from any saltwater. I'm really excited for this and the next few episodes for exactly this reason, so I'll hand things over now to Yost. Hey Yost, thanks so much for taking the time to be with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you, Oliver. Well, look, I'm excited to get into talking about the world of ocean farming, seeing as we're just on the beginning frontier of this area. But let's start by going into what sort of problems that our oceans currently have that farming seaweed can help to resolve. Well, the oceans are uh, quite under some stress, I would say, uh, for for different reasons. So, of course, we have... uh, uh, lots of activities in the ocean, uh, like uh, oil and, and, and all kind of stuff that is polluting the ocean, uh, that puts the that puts the ocean and the marine life under stress. And apart from that, you have human activities on land, so all the agricultural uh, activities where you have all the yeah the nutrients from fertilizer uh, that that go into the sea and make sure that the sea gets almost over nutrified um and then of course you have the whole uh, co2 uh, issue where the sea is absorbing quite a lot of that and that leads to acidification of the ocean so for, from different sides the, the the ocean is under stress and uh, and i've just mentioned uh, not even all of them uh, seaweed is is able to not i mean seaweed could be one of the let's say solutions or one of the uh, contributors to at least take off that stress that to ease it a bit uh, one of the biggest benefits of seaweed is it's the fastest growing biomass on this planet so it is absorbing a lot of co2 therefore helping the oceans to uh, yeah to uh, tackle this acidification uh, seaweed eats the nutrients the excess of nutrients that is, that is there in the sea uh, so seaweed could play quite a role in in yeah in relieving that stress a little bit. And given that a lot of these contaminants and the stress on the oceans, as you put it, is coming from operations and contaminants based on land, is it just a matter of these working as a biofilter, or are they performing other ecosystem services as they grow as well? Well, that is basically what you see. It is. Um, so, so apart from the what I just said, the absorption of nutrients and, and CO2, uh, you, you, what you see happening around seaweed farms is that it forms kind of habitat for marine life, which is, of course, makes sense. It's a, you're, 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 you're growing plants or underwater, um, and you get a lot of marine life reappearing there. So that is quite a positive side effect or whatever effect it is on, on, uh, on that you get on, on top of it. So, uh, but I, I would not say that, that growing seaweed acts as a filter to counterbalance the, the, the damage that we're doing on land. Uh, it just happens to work like that. And I think we should do both. We should not grow seaweed to, to counterbalance all the negative effects. I mean, we should stop with that and we should embrace all the positive um, things that seaweed has to bring. 
So it seems to me that there's a lot of potential here economically as well from some of the research and the talks that I've seen you give in the past. Can you tell me about some of the valuable seaweed products that have a potential market in, in a regular economy? Yeah, well, that makes the seaweed solution actually quite an interesting one. So on one hand, knowing that you have the fastest growing biomass, that that has a lot of positive side effects on the environment. On the other hand, uh, seaweed has many, many valuable applications. So if you look at the seaweed uh, at the plant, then it starts with the, let's say, the, the macro elements in it. So you have fibrous proteins and carbs. Well, probably everyone knows what to do with that. So they could replace uh, other proteins. It could be an alternative for, uh, for, for, uh, for, fiber, uh, for fibers. Uh, and the carbs are quite interesting because they are uh, insoluble. So you, 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 when you, once you eat them, you feel uh, filled, but, but the, the, the carbs will not act the same as, as, for instance, the carbs in pasta or in bread. Um, but then if you go, if you take a microscope, <laughs> you go even deeper, you go to the bioactive ingredients, then it becomes really interesting. So what you see is that seaweed has a many active uh, uh, ingredients that if you extract them, that, that lead to a couple of things. So one of them is that uh, um, you could say that seaweed helps to improve the immune system, but not only for humans, but also for animals and even also for, for, for the soil, for, for, for agriculture. So increasing the immune system of the, of the soil. And that makes seaweed extremely interesting. And the mode of action is different in all the situations, but uh, we see very nice and, and, and impressive results there. Now, if you have a lot of seaweed and you have it available in, in high quantities and lower price, then you get into applications as plastics. Uh, you could, uh, it could serve as a biomass for plastics and also for energy. Um, having said that, I think that uh, seaweed is so valuable for, 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 for human and animal and soil applications that, that before we use it for, uh, for biomass, as biomass for, for, for energy, that will take some time, but, but it is a possibility. So that's just a couple of, of possible things that you can do with seaweed. And of course, most of them have a value, or basically all of them have a value. The value differs, of course, energy is less less value than, than, for instance, human food or even uh, uh, pharmaceutical or, or, or um, uh, human well-being products. But uh, that, that makes it an interesting portfolio of, uh, of applications. And so then what's holding this back as an industry at the moment? Because I know seaweed products are much more common in, say, Asian and South Asian diets. But here in Europe and in the United States, where I mostly grew up, it's not nearly as common. Is it just a matter of cultural differences or is there something else holding the industry back at the moment? Well, I think cultural difference is one. So we have, let's say, lost the connection with what happens in the sea. What you, what you see in, in, in Europe and the US, the coastal communities still still know about seaweed and they still use it for different purposes, but the industry has disappeared in a way. Um, and we are kind of re, uh, well, re exploring what, what's happening. It's not new, um, but it is just, it's just not known. We don't look underwater. We, we never considered that to be a place uh, for, for a raw material like seaweed, a valuable raw material. Um, 
well, in, in, you're correct. In, in, in this moment, I would say that 95% or even more of the, the global volume is produced in, uh, in Asia and also used there for extraction of some binding agents and also for, for food. Um, uh, but uh, it's safe to say that outside of Asia, there is just no seaweed, uh, definitely not enough seaweed. So the world can benefit from all its, uh, all its uh, yeah, positive, uh, positive applications. Well, so let's talk about now a different approach to treating this as an agricultural product. Because like you said, though this is not new as a product, it is new the way you're going about cultivating it. Can you tell me yeah. how you actually grow seaweed in the ocean? Yeah, so so what you'll see, what what the, the seaweed that was cult or, or was uh, produced or harvested would be the correct word uh, so far in Europe and, and the US, that was all taking place uh, in, in like wild harvesting. So people are just collecting it from the shores. Now that is not a real sustainable way of doing it. So we try to cultivate it and that then we enter in the, the, the technology, technolo technological challenges here because you try to grow something um, in open water with, with quite hefty uh, circumstances like currents and waves uh, and what have you. Um, but basically what it, it comes down to, you need to produce, let's say, seaweed seedlings, so the base material. Then you need to find a way to attach that to, to growth structures. In our case, we use uh, ropes and nets. Uh, then you need to build an infrastructure in the sea that you can connect these ropes and nets to and that, that withstands the, uh, the forces of nature. Um, then you get to the point where it is ready for, for harvesting. Then you need to find a way to harvest it and very important, a way of processing it in a very short time frame. So seaweed, if you take it out of the water, after about one hour, it is already disintegrating. So there are quite some challenges uh, yeah, that lead to the current situation that we are still in a very immature industry, I would say. Well, so at the moment, we've been talking about seaweed as if it's just one thing, but I know you've identified a number of different seaweed species in a presentation that I've seen of yours recently, and the different potential marketable products that can be brought from each, as well as the different climates that they require to grow in. Can you go over some of the ones that you've explored most for their potential in farming? Yeah. That's a good question because indeed we are talking about seaweed as if it was just one one thing, but it would be the same as if we talk about trees or herbs. If we are trying to make a meal, no one is putting herbs in his or her meal. You eat garlic or or, at, uh, or other herbs with a, with a specific names. So basically, if you look at seaweed, there are three different categories. You have green, uh, brown, and red seaweeds. Those are the main uh, main categories um, the brown seaweeds uh, sometimes also called kelp um, you find them mainly in the colder water so mainly uh, northern Europe US Canada uh, along the coast of, uh, of Chile there you find the the, um, uh, the, the kelp the brown seaweeds and these seaweeds require also a completely different way of cultivating than, for instance, the green seaweeds, because the green seaweeds 
And uh, one well-known species called sea lettuce or ulva, uh, that, is, that is, for instance, a free-floating seaweed. So it's not connecting to anything. Uh, so you cannot put it on a line or a net. So that, that requires a completely different way of cultivating, for instance, in ponds or in, in, in closed areas. And then finally you have the red seaweeds. And generally speaking, uh, those are growing in, in, in warmer climates like Asia, Indonesia, uh, India. And they have yet another way of growing. You could growth. It's like you can take pieces of the of the seaweed, and then the plant grows out of that, and you can harvest part of the plant and then reuse the uh, the bit that is left. So that is roughly the three species, and then you have different names and different species within these uh, within these groups. So within those categories that you mentioned, what have been the ones that you have so far found success in cultivating? um yeah that's a good thing to realize i mean there are roughly we know of about seventeen thousand different species of seaweed all around the world and i think that is still missing uh, many 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 other species that we just don't know of, or we can't identify as a separate species um now of those species i think there is a maximum of 10 to 15 species that are commercially used and have therefore also uh, a known way of let's say cultivating them and that's not a lot uh, we focus mainly in in ireland on um, on a species called alaria uh, that is a that's a very tasty uh, brown seaweed in the north sea in the netherlands we grow saccharina or sugar wheat then in our plant in morocco we grow a green seaweed a ulva or the sea lettuce and then in our farms in India, we focus on uh, mainly on Gracilaria, and that is a, a red seaweed. Um, all of these are uh, all of these we use in our applications. So um, uh, one is not better than uh, than the other, or more useful. Uh, so we make use of, of all of them in our in our plants. And so I've worked in both commercial fishing and commercial shipping. And I know that doing work in the ocean requires some pretty intensive capital investments for the equipment, for the fuel costs. Is this something that would be possible for someone without that kind of financial backing to start on if they were living close to the ocean? Or is it something that you really kind of need a coalition and a team of investors to get off the ground or off the water, so to speak? <laughs> yeah yeah well that depends a little bit if you live on the coast close to the coast and there is a let's say a, a secluded area a non-exposed area like a bay then it's very well possible to to start a small farm there i mean in the netherlands there is a, a team of people who are growing seaweed in in a harbor so so just between two little piers, they, they have some ropes and they grow seaweed there. So that's very small scale, but doable. Now, if you like it as a hobby or if, uh, if you like it, uh, you can, yeah, you can, you can get it to a certain scale, but that is not about the volumes that we are talking about. And for those, you do need capital because it's very, uh, it's quite capital intense, as you, as you mentioned. Um, Apart from that, you do need some skills. You do need to write uh, equipment. You need to write vessels. 
the, 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 the C skills, you need to know what to do. So if you, if you don't have any background in, let's say, in any C or aquaculture related activity, then I would definitely make sure that you hire or find someone who has, like a, like a mussel farmer or a fish farmer or someone who worked in offshore. Um, and that is what we that is what we found in in the seaweed company. We have combined those, those skills, so we combined the biological knowledge uh, with the uh, uh, engineering knowledge uh, and the and the financial knowledge. So bringing those three together, uh, that's that's a good mix of of starting a seaweed adventure, I would say. And so I know you've mentioned these different cultivated uh, species in different areas where the climate is appropriate for the needs of the plant. But does this really work out as just another way of monoculture farming just in the ocean? Or is there enough of a diversity of, I guess, other plant and wildlife in these systems that creates an actual habitat for, you know, other ecological systems like we spoke about in the beginning? Yeah, well, the risk, of course, is always there, uh, to be honest. And that's what you see right now in Asia. It's quite a monocultural uh, uh, activity that takes place, which is a pity. I mean, there's enough lessons to, that we could learn from what we're doing on land. So, what we try to do is, is in our farms, is to approach it from a sustainable point of view and work with nature. Uh, and of course, it will, will always be a combination of optimizing your operation. But optimizing operation is does not say that you only focus on one species. Um, luckily, you do have many species that grow together and you have a, a quite some complementary activities if you include other, let's say, aquacultural um, product, products. <laughs> Why well, is it an animal like, like, like shellfish or, or, or uh, you, you include those activities? They have a very beneficial effect on each other. So seaweed feeds, for instance, on um, the, the, the waste of, of fish farms. Or, or, or mussels or oysters, and the other way around. So you have, you, it's quite easy to create uh, positive ecosystems around a seaweed farm. And that is, of course, what we try. Now, having said that, the, the, the seas and the oceans are so immense that we are not even, even close there. So it's also, it's, it's good to mention, it is a possibility, and it's also good to realize that Right now, it's just a couple of pixels in the water that we have. It's, it's, um, and uh, yeah, the, the, the sea is, is let's say, quite large so far. It can absorb a, a, a lot. We, before we have just re, uh, let's say, regenerated all the forests, all the kelp, all the seaweed that has just disappeared because of pollution. I think if we only get to that point, then uh, and then we just bring back nature as it was, then uh, that, that will take uh, many years to get there. Well, so I love that you've talked about this as a large-scale potential application. Can you share with us sort of the vision that you have for the benefits that this could bring to our culture, to our diets, and, and other ways, if it's really implemented at the scale you're talking about? Well, I think that you, what you will see then is that, that, that the seaweed extracts, as I discussed in the beginning, will be used in, 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 many, in many food and feed ingredients. We will, we will see a, a community 
human and animal with, with an improved immune system. That means less um, uh, less vulnerable to, to, to infections or even viruses, as we see right now, less use of antibiotics. Um, we are doing tests with hospitals right now and, and with medical universities where we test the effect on uh, diseases like Alzheimer's and, and diabetes. Uh, and we do see that seaweed has, has many, many, or let's say it correctly, that several species have the ability to have a big effects on, on, uh, on in the situations. And uh, because that's the thing, it's not seaweed in general, and that, that might be the trap. Um, having said that, we don't need, uh, we're not talking about huge volumes that, that people or animals need to consume. I mean, for a human being, it, it would be extremely healthy if you would eat five grams of, of dried seaweed per day and put that in whatever meal you, you're preparing. That is more than enough. For animals, the same. For, we, for our cows, we are looking at about 70 grams per, per day. Uh, that we blend as a supplement in their in the total um, uh, feed that they eat in a day that is that is tens of kilograms so it, it's not about eating a lot of it it's just getting uh, yeah give your body give your body the, the the benefits that it brings so the seaweed can can improve your 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 gut health and your immune system so that's where we'll see it back then of course if the scale increases or if we have seaweed that cannot be used for human or animal feed and we start making um we start using it for um uh let's say for for plastics for, as biomass or for energy yeah, then it will replace fossil fuel-based products right now. It will be alternative for that. Or if we use it as a, as a growth uh, stimulant, it can replace fossil fuel-based um, fertilizer, pesticides. Well, I think as humanity, we will, uh, or as, as being on this planet, you, you will notice that if, if, if we achieve the scale that we, have, that we envision. And if I say we... I'm not talking, of course, about only the seaweed company, but I, I hope that this inspires many people to start a seaweed adventures because uh, we do need a lot of seaweed. Well, so one of the things that I think could be an unintended positive consequence from this is if people start having a closer relationship to seaweed products and other things that come out of the ocean that aren't simply extracted, like fishing and uh, seafood industries kind of have us relating to it, perhaps they'll think more about their impact on non-terrestrial landscapes as well and create sort of a, a connection between our actions here on land and the impacts that they have in the ocean. And I'm wondering, how did you first get interested in getting involved with an endeavor like this? Did you have an early connection to ocean environments or did this come from a different interest? No, actually, good, nice question. But then, no, no, I... To be honest, I was not connected in any way or had any relationship with the sea before I started. No, when I, after some of my career adventures, I, I felt like it, it's, I would like to have a tangible impact. I would like to work with something in some area that, um, yeah, that, that has a tangible impact. So I'm not talking about it or not thinking about it or, or having the intention to change things, but to really do it. And uh, I just basically what I did is I invited myself. I went to my LinkedIn list and I invited myself to uh, 
to to several people that were working in the in the uh, sustainable industry like solar panels or batteries or wind power or wave current power um, and I thought okay that's all nice and that is very important uh, and that's almost already in a commodity phase and then I ran into someone who mentioned seaweed and what you could do with it and I don't know what happened but it was immediately I, I fell in love with it and it, it, it's, I thought like this is extremely interesting this is something I would like to find out and the more you dive into it and the more I was learning and the more people I was meeting uh the the yeah the clearer it became like this this will be my future and um yeah the rest is um history not <laughs> sure well so i've only really started to hear about the potential of ocean farming in this sense in the last handful of years and it, it i'm wondering like are the different people who are pioneering this sector of not just you know removing fish and wildlife from the sea but actually cultivating things in a beyond sustainable way are you all in close contact do you share resources are there places where you can go to get the latest information or are people still mostly operating independently yeah it's the latter unfortunately but i think that is a natural approach when 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 whatever if it's on land or in the sea or when people try to change systems they quickly find out that you cannot change the system the only thing what you can do is you can build a new system next to it and and show to demonstrate to people that that works as well or or that works better now um what that results into is that you are quite a pioneer and a loner at some point because the rest of the world does not understand you yet or 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 doesn't the legislation is not there yet or the banks don't know what to do with you because you don't fit in any box uh, so you probably in the beginning are very busy with surviving and trying to get your ideas on board and, the, and, and that leaves not a lot of time to to find each other I think that will take place and of course it is taking place as well um, in the different countries there is a seaweed initiative now in Europe and Netherlands and you do see people around certain themes connecting um, uh, and that will only grow but yeah I think this is the uh, but this is, makes it also interesting it is for me the pioneering phase is just fantastic it's now finding the partners uh, in any industry that we need that just have the vision that we need to change so in the, now it's meeting the banks that are open to that well let's say it's one out of ten and then it's looking at the, the offshore companies well it's one out of five that is open to to a new future uh, and, and that's great because now those companies and those organizations meet and they form coalitions and yeah, I have to say that, that it becomes stronger and stronger. So you're right, the, the, the last five years, I would say, um, the, the, these, these, these initiatives are popping up and, and, and people are just reacting uh, positive to that. But that's a positive uh, uh, effect, I would say. That's really exciting. And just to kind of wrap up this picture here, can you tell me a little bit about the steps that were involved for you to get your initial project off the ground? Because obviously it's expanded quite a bit. I can't imagine that you started in all these countries at the same time, but to give a bit of a roadmap for someone who might be interested in you know, launching their own enterprise along this route, can you give me an idea of the steps that it took to get where you're at now? 
Well, I think it starts with, with getting clear on your ambition and your passion. So what you see, especially in seaweed, is that either you are really, you, you, you like it and you would like to build your farm in your local community. Uh, so you want to stay, keep it small scale. Uh, and that could be very, very nice. Um, and then you can do it with, with little, little resources. Or if you have ambitions uh, that you want to, let's say, grow or start an industry. Um, if it's the latter, like in our case, then you need to make sure that, first of all, check that you're crazy enough, uh, stubborn enough, because uh, just counting the times and moments that would be more than logical to stop. We, would be, we could justify really already 10 times that we would have stopped uh, on our way, but we didn't. So you must have, uh, you must be quite determined to uh, to continue, and then it's really about finding the right people and the right attitudes. It's it's not so much about the, the, you know the technology and the finance and um, the biology. All that knowledge is already there. It is about finding the right people with the right attitudes that can bring that together and act in the same way, and then it can go pretty fast. So we started with with one farm in in uh, in ireland and we found we built a kind of ecosystem around that so we worked with a local contractor and we found the right people and we, we in the beginning we were just improvising with um, um yeah, with our materials but what we did is we tested everything already for skill so we were not testing just one thing and then see how it worked and then see the next year how it would continue now we were already testing on the skill that other people had there let's say their their operation the size of their operations and therefore we could make huge steps so after one farm in ireland the second popped up and the third and we have a big hatchery where we grow our base material and then an opportunity in morocco started and we met someone so it's always finding every new operation starts with uh, one or two persons that we meet and that form the right fit and have the right attitude and share the same ambition. And then they can almost, yeah, set it up there locally and, and make it make it a, a growing business there. So what we need to let go of is that we control everything. So it's really like our company is also growing organically in a way. So Morocco is growing in a certain speed and India and Ireland and and I don't know what other farms will uh, operations will uh, will pop up or, or would. Uh, and you need to be able to yeah be okay with that I think. And then and then it can go pretty fast. So in in two years time now we what is it two years two and a half years we have grown now to about sixteen people and and, and the five or six farms we are working on. We're attracting quite some attention from governments from from communities then you end up in a kind of positive uh, spiral. Wow. Yeah, it really sounds like collaboration has been key to this effort because there's so many arms of the operation. And I guess what I'm wondering is, seeing as this is really pushing the boundaries of agriculture and aquaculture as well, are you collaborating with universities or research operations in order to study the outcomes of what you're doing? Or are there ways for people to come and help out and perhaps get training in these operations in order to learn more? 
Well, that would be ideal, of course. Uh, but having said, as I, as I said, we're still in, in, in a kind of pioneering phase. Um, uh, so it's not like we are not a big uh, corporate organization that has the luxury to, um, uh, yeah, to, to, to spend a lot of time and energy to train people. Uh, so the training is always on the job uh, if you want to train, and it's very much, yeah, uh, triggered by the person, him or herself. Uh, if you don't take the initiative, nothing will happen. Uh, what else? Can you repeat the second part of the question? Sure. I mean, just as far as because this is so new, where are you finding people who have the skills or uh, or finding ways of training people to the skills that are kind of unprecedented up until now? Or is it just a matter of kind of finding people with related abilities that you can redirect into the context of what you're trying to accomplish? No, I, I think one of our approaches, we, we never look for people. We never have vacancies. Uh, people come to us. So what we need is we need platforms like this where we can share our message. And then most people will listen to it and will think nice. And then there might be two or three that say like, wow this is this is me I, this is what i want and and they come to us and and i think that that's happening all the time and uh, and i think it's a very healthy way of growing uh, because if we would be on the lookout for people then yeah i don't know then we then we need to convince people i don't know we have to waken something up so we try to work only with people who want to work with seaweed and 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 have a passion for that whatever regardless and uh, yeah and makes that leads to great results now from the previous interviews that i've done in this podcast as well as my own experience working on farms and managing a permaculture farm in guatemala before coming to live here in spain one of the things that i think is is often not understood in agriculture is that it's, it's not difficult to create a product to create a produce or you know grow something but finding a market for it and creating a value-added product for that market is much more the difficulty. And this is really where the business skills come in. How have you started to figure that out for the products that, like you said, are not very common in many of the markets that you're looking to enter? Well, the, the, that's one thing that we bring in in our in our let's say combined skills is uh, apart from the biology side and knowing what seaweed can do and what ingredient can lead to what effect we bring in of course a lot of commercial uh, marketing experience um and so the way we look at them we, we made some decisions we said like we will never be a let's say a seaweed farmer who grows seaweed and sells seaweed uh, we will only sell let's say, products or, or propositions or concepts where our seaweed is part of. Um, and that means because we, we know we, the moment we are already, let's say, supporting a new industry moving immediately into commodity and in, and in discussions about margins, that's not going to help it. So we know that our role in here is to keep a premium price, but find the concepts that justify that. So it's not only asking a high price, but it's more like, uh, finding all the benefits and, and creating clear propositions of what seaweed can do. So people are willing to pay for that because they know if I pay this amount for that product, my return will be 300% or something like that. 
and and that is that is so that is indeed the 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 biggest one of the biggest challenges is to constantly create uh leading propositions and then in each industry find the key people or the leading people and those are not necessarily the the biggest one or the market leaders definitely not because they are so driven and focused on 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 on, on price and on uh, on commodity no it's more the in-between companies that have a vision they want to change and those are the great partners and 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 then you need only one or two in each industry and and, and together you'll you'll you create and you pave that path so that's basically our approach uh, so far and of course we attract a lot of demand right now and that makes it also interesting for smaller farmers to just uh, link up with us so we buy as well seaweed uh, as long as it's grown certified in a sustainable way we buy that from from smaller farmers and we can use it in the in the yeah in our markets and that's of course a benefit if you focus on that because we yeah if you we, we have the de- 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 uh, the demand for a lot of seaweed this is all fascinating but i got to ask what of the products that you've seen come out of seaweed or perhaps even your own products are you really personally excited about or do you use on a regular basis well, I eat uh, uh, seaweed every day, seaweed anyway. So I put it in my so the dried dried blend of seaweed, and I put it in my smoothies or in my food or in my soup. Or um, so that's not really a product. That's more like raw seaweed. Um, I am extremely uh, enthusiastic about our um, sustainable farming line. What we have so. We are now basically using the sea to improve what we do on land. And I like that concept a lot. So we have different blends for different animals, for cows and pigs and chicken, um, to really improve the welfare of those animals. And uh, that leads to extremely, extremely impressive results, like, like no more antibiotics, um reduced stress and therefore uh no injuries uh and uh, quite some nasty things that happen that we that we tackle um and apart from that we for the for the agricultural side on the land we have our uh, bio growth stimulant and that is also what i just said in the beginning it's like a immune boost for the soil we 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 the soil becomes richer it can absorb more co2 um but the plant hormones in seaweed uh, help the plant to grow faster and have stronger roots and be more resistant to stress like heat and drought um, as well as it pre- prevents some um, some fungi to to release that toxin so our product can be almost a replacement for fertilizer and pesticides well that is making me extremely happy because then that's like that those are the problems that we're facing right now of our let's say our land-based uh, optimization uh, approach and uh, where we see the borders or where we have already crossed the borders. And so I think we can bring quite some relief there. We can, as well as we do in the oceans, we can relieve the stress on, the, on our land use and or the way we treat and deal with our animals. And um, yeah, that, that's definitely one that makes me makes me very happy. And of course, I love the we make chips and we make cheese and bread with seaweed, and that's also very nice. 
But uh, if I look at the, 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 the products and, and our proposition that has really a big impact, then it's our sustainable farming approach. Wow, that's, uh, that's really interesting. Are any of these available for purchase in regular markets yet, or do they have to be ordered specially? Mm, well, you can have a look at our website, uh, the theweedcompany.com, if you look at our brands that we have. But we don't sell them uh, to the public. Uh, we don't, we, we mainly, so we really work in partnerships. So, so f because we think that's important also to, to, to get the value out of the product. If we, if we would just sell it to someone, then he or she would use it in a wrong way or not right. And so we really want to guide that. And so we work with, with a couple of partners that have the skill and the ability and they, have, they are in the good position that, um, uh, that, they, that they have access to, to, to it and, and uh, yeah, can benefit from it. Mm. Uh, but of course, our aim is that we make that available uh, rather sooner than later for uh, for for bigger use um, yeah that's our plan very exciting and do you think you're on track to be able to reach a significant portion of the market soon or is it going to be a few years or a couple of different milestones in your production to be able to get up to the scale that you're trying to get to well we don't have a goal there on our scale we just know that speed and skill in general is something we are after uh, we don't have the luxury in the, the if you look at the state of the, the the planet we don't have the luxury to to wait or to be slow or to to test everything to death or to have all the regulations uh, crossed and ticked and so we need the speed and we need the skill to have the impact so i mean if we would put ourselves a goal then who who could tell us that was the right goal maybe we were just uh, under aiming or i don't know so uh so we don't look at it from that perspective that's i would call that old way thinking that is sure. uh, like talking in competition or piece of the market we are creating a new industry and uh, and um, it's it's not so difficult if i talk to a farmer who is spraying every five days pesticides over his fields to protect his potatoes from a certain uh, fungi and he uses gas, gas masks to protect himself. And I ask him, are you putting that over your field? Yeah. And are we eating that? Yeah. So that is assumed that, or I suppose there would be an alternative that you could, that would be safe. Would you use it? Oh yeah, immediately. And, and that is the way we, that's what I hope that happens. That people start thinking. Uh, if you, uh, right now the, we use certain fertilizers for, and then if you put it over your land, then the horses cannot eat their graze there for two weeks. Why not? Yeah, because it's dangerous. Why do you put something over your land that is dangerous? I mean, I, 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 I don't get that. So uh, I think that we offer a very nice alternatives that will, yeah, that people see the benefits from very quickly as soon as they see that the results are uh, at least the same or and especially if the results are, uh, uh, are even better than their alternative they're using. Mm. Well, before I go, can you tell us how people can get in touch with you, learn more about your operation and, and find out more about your products? Well, I think uh, the, the, the easiest way, well, you get a little glimpse of what we're doing is on our website. Uh, so it's www.theseaweedcompany.com. Uh, yeah, that's the first step. And the other... I would say that if you Google and you go, you look for the different seaweed stories that are there and the applications, you'll find a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, that would be a way to, to start.
Fantastic. And then the people that the people that really want to continue their career and to see we didn't know how to find me. No problem. <laughs> there I'm you not go. Going to tell them. <laughs> All right, to you with sea adventurers, you know who to contact if you want to get into the seaweed business. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Jos, thank you so much for taking the time. I've really gotten a lot out of the presentations that you did in the ecosystem restoration design course, and I'm really excited to be co-teaching with you on that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's really exciting, the applications and the future possibilities for seaweed farming and, and changing our relationship with the ocean in general. So thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. All right, that wraps things up for this week's episode. If you enjoyed this interview and want to find more like it, as well as articles and other resources, you can find the full library of previous podcasts at AbundantEdge.com. The best part is that you can search by category, topics, or keywords on our brand new website rather than scrolling through more than 140 interviews. I've spoken to experts on everything from growing your own food, building homes from natural materials, beekeeping, vermicompost, permaculture design techniques, and so much more. Before we go, I just want to say thank you so much to those of you who have taken the time to reach out to me via comments and emails. Your input helps a lot in making this show the open conversation and exchange of ideas that it's meant to be, and it helps me to make better content on the topics that you're interested in. If you have any insights, advice, suggestions, or questions, be sure to send them to me at info at AbundantEdge.com, and I'll look forward to being in touch. New episodes come out every Friday like clockwork, so don't forget to subscribe to the show through our website or through your favorite podcast streaming platform, and I'll catch you on next week's show.